0: Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We have two more weeks in this series where we're looking at Jesus' relationship with different women in the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at the account of Jesus with the anointing woman from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to just come together today. You've called Your people to gather, to not neglect meeting together. We're supposed to come together in this way. We're supposed to come together to encourage each other, equip each other, a whole series of one another's, of forgiving each other, of bearing each other's burdens. We're also to come together to hear from You through Your Word. Lord, we confess that as we look within, we self-deceive. Lord, we need something outside of us. We need your word. We need you to speak to us for us to know the truth, to know the truth about ourselves, about the world around us, about you. Lord, I pray to that end that your spirit would come and and fill this room and that he would do the work that only he can do of opening our eyes to see correctly, of giving us faith where we lack, of convicting us where uh, we have maybe uh, justified things in our lives. Lord, I pray that he would encourage us. Lord, I pray finally that uh, to that end that I would not say anything out of your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, motherhood is a minefield of judgmentalism, isn't it? Like think about it, ladies, like even maybe when you first got pregnant, maybe you heard something like, you're not going to eat that, are you? Or maybe you heard something like, well you're going to have the baby in a hospital, right? Or, or you're going to have the baby in a birthing center, right? That judgmentalism continues even after the baby's born. Moms, you might have heard things, something like, you know, if she doesn't get enough tummy time, she's not going to be ready for kindergarten. Maybe that's a little far. But, but maybe you've heard something like, oh, you're going to let them eat that. And then when kids get into the school age years, moms, maybe you feel pressure to put your kids into the public school. Maybe some of you feel pressure to put your kids into the Christian school. Maybe others of you feel Chris, uh, pressure to put your kids into homeschool. This minefield of judgmentalism is a trap. Because when we, uh, when we live according to other people's opinions, we either fall into one ditch uh, of, of feeling uh, superior than other people, or we fall into another ditch of feeling self-condemned. So when we have this judgmentalism, if we're able to step over whatever that line is or whatever that standard is, then we can struggle with pride. Or if we can't maintain that standard, then we go the other direction and we struggle with self-condemnation. Listen, judgmentalism for mommies is like judgmentalism for everybody else. It's a trap and it leads to all sorts of fractured friendships. And it also causes us to fall further away from the Lord rather than getting closer to Him. Judging and living according to other people's judgments, it, it keeps us from experiencing the peace that comes from trusting and loving Jesus. That's what this story of the anointing woman is all about. She experiences peace as she rejects the judgments of the world, and she trusts and loves Jesus. Today, we're looking at this story where uh, this this man is judging her in a certain way, except Jesus forgives her. It's an amazing contrast between how the Pharisee treats her and how Jesus treats her. She never lived up to some of the people's standards around her, but she was accepted and forgiven by Jesus. And as a result, she experienced genuine and eternal peace. Now, before we look at Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, I want to highlight that there's another anointing story. We're not going to look at that today because we actually looked at it a few weeks ago, but there's another uh, instance where a woman anoints Jesus. And and that's again. we looked at a few weeks ago, which that was Mary, the the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she also had this instant where she anointed Jesus and and she had this powerful moment of worshiping him, if you remember. Now that story is actually recorded in three of the gospels. So there's three accounts of that story. And the gist of it is, is that we, we see that Mary is this passionate follower of christ she's just she's just more emotional she's a feeling type person and and she's just overcome being in jesus's presence krista and i just returned from the holy land and the the times where we were where jesus was those are the most powerful moments and she's just in his presence and she's just overcome and worships him from a pure and glad heart. And, and our great takeaway from looking at Mary's uh, anointing was is that likewise we're to worship Jesus with this same type of expression and conviction. Also in those accounts, uh, the disciples respond in an interesting way. You see, she takes this ointment that was very expensive, this perfume, and she anoints him with it. And all the disciples complain that, hey, you know, that's a lot of money. Like we could have taken that money and we could have given it to the poor. And Jesus responds to all of them that, hey, listen, the poor are always going to be with you. But, but I'm only with you for a short season. And what he does there is he stands up for her in a sense of saying, what she's doing is, is a pure and a genuine, uh, uh, heartfelt, expressive worship of me. It's good. Luke seven thirty six to 50, it records a, a separate incident. Mary's not the woman mentioned in Luke chapter 7. However, like Mary, this woman has been totally transformed by Jesus' acceptance and by Jesus' forgiveness. And the result was this very powerful expression of her love and devotion for Jesus. And I want you to to keep uh, in mind that all this scene culminates in this experience of peace that she's going to experience at the end. And that comes through trusting and loving Jesus. Well, the first charge here in verses 36 to 40 is to believe that Jesus can transform you. Follow along as I read. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair uh, of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher." Previously, just to maybe set the context of Luke chapter 7, if you look up to verse 20, some of John the Baptist's followers come to Christ and they ask an interesting question. In verse 20, they ask, are you the one who is to come or shall we look to another? Now, everything that follows from there is answering that question. It's explaining that Jesus is the Christ. They come and say, are, are you really the Christ? And then what Jesus does is he demonstrates, and the, the, the writer and the editor of this book puts it together in such a way to, to where we then see that, okay, yes, indeed, Jesus is the Christ. Th- these guys don't need to look to anyone else. Jesus is the Christ. And the evidence that Jesus gives here is that he's a friend of sinners. That's the maybe the whole point of this story is that he forgives people of their sins. And that's the evidence that he is truly the Christ. You see, only God can forgive sinners in this way. So, in further, his grace totally transforms this sinner. The, the woman of this story is described as a sinner. And sometimes in the Bible, when that phrase is used, it can refer to someone who is, who is not Jewish. They're a Gentile. So, sometimes the Jewish people call Gentiles a sinner. Sometimes they can refer to someone who is ceremonially unclean, and maybe they can't participate in the festivals or in the, in, in the temple worship. But I think something else is going on here. I think she's morally sinful. And where I get that is, is a couple of ways that she's described. In verse 37, she's described as a woman of the city. And then the Pharisee in verse 39, he, he gives evidence that everybody knew about her sin. There's a notoriousness about her sin. Like, everybody knows that she's a sin. So she's likely, I think, probably a prostitute. And what's, but what is clear is this woman has lived a sinful life. However, Jesus doesn't push her away, but he draws her near. Notice the posture that he has towards her. You see, she doesn't run away from Jesus. She runs to him. Like, like he's not cold to her, but he's welcoming to her. Like, she's not shamefully hiding in the corner, but but she 's overcome with emotion, and she comes towards him. All of this highlights is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend to her, like she uh, feels comfortable coming close to her, close to him, even in her sin. And, and like if, you know if you have young children when they do something they shouldn't do, like they run off and hide. Maybe if you have a dog, my dog, when she does something that she doesn't, she kind of runs off and hides right? We, we do that with God, don't we? that when we're doing something that we shouldn't, we, we just kind of go away from him. But, but that's not Jesus' posture towards sinners. You see, in your sin, that's when he comes the closest. That's when he demonstrates that he's a friend of sinner. And further, the fact that he's a friend of, of a sinner, it has transformed the life of the sinner. Notice some of the things that she can't help doing. Like there's some instinctual things that she does. Out of this grace that he's given her, she does four things. First off, she anoints him. Second, she she weeps with gratitude in his presence. She's just near him and she's overcome and she just weeps with gratitude. Third, she joyously wipes his feet with her hair. That's not something that that, that you, you know, do out of obligation. This is something heartfelt. This is something in many ways kind of radical and maybe even scandalous, but she's just overcome by his presence. And then fourth, she humbly kisses his feet. Further, she doesn't do any of this out of obligation. Rather, she does all of it out of a pure and glad heart. That's a demonstration that she has been totally transformed by being a friend, uh, by being a friend of Jesus. And hear me, this is Jesus' business. This is what Jesus does. His mission is to transform sinners into worshipers. That's his mission for you. Like that's what he's that's what that's what he how he is always working in your life is to try to transform you from a sinner to a worshiper. Jesus is not focused on transforming you from a poor person to a rich person. That's not really his focus. That's not his interest for you. He's not focused on transforming you from someone who has who who doesn't have any trials and pain to, to then someone who never has trials and pains. He's operating in your life and using all of your life to transform you into a worshiper. That's what he's doing with all that pain. That's what he's doing with those trials. That's what he's doing in all moments of your life. He's trying to draw you closer to him. His goal for you is for you to see him in all of his glory, John 17, 24. And the reason for that is, is because he knows that when you are in his presence, when you're seeing him in all his glory, that's that's your most joyous place that you can be. That's where you experience abundant life like nothing else. Nothing in this world can compare to that. When you are in His presence, that's where life is found. So He doesn't leave us where we are, but He seeks to totally transform us into something new. Now, He does this not by condemning you, but by befriending you. He does this by being your friend. He doesn't pull back from you when you fail or when you sin or when you fall short. Rather, He draws you close in those moments. He meets you there. He perfects you with His grace. That's what He's interested in doing. Now now hear me, indeed He is a prophet, right? Like this Pharisee says, well, if He was a prophet, He would know. He is certainly a prophet, but He's so much more, isn't He? And the so much more is that He is a friend of sinners. Now, we're in this series on jesus's relationship to women and we've highlighted that all socially constructed morality and and all socially constructed norms even our own they at some level view women as less in some way however that's not how jesus treats women like isn't it fascinating how the pharisee treats her and how jesus treats her like it's totally different he doesn't the pharisee judges her but jesus welcomes her Ladies, no matter what some guy thinks of you, the Son of Man sees you, He loves you, He forgives you, and He transforms you. That's His business. That's His mission in your life. Do you believe that Jesus can transform you, even you? Jesus next tells this little parable about how you too can be transformed. Look look at this little parable. I, I think the charge here is that we are to believe because Jesus can forgive your debts. Look at verses 41 to 43. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One, owned, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose with whom he's canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. A denarii, is just a, it's a Roman coin and it's worth about a day's wage, was kind of the equivalent there. So the guy who owed 50 denarii, I mean, that's, that's nearly two months of work. It was, it was a lot of money. But the guy who owned 500 denarii, that's, that's nearly two years' worth of work. And, and he forgives them both, this maybe smaller amount and then this enormous amount. The, the point's clear. The reason this woman loved Jesus so much was because she had been forgiven so much, right? Like she was, she blessed him because she had received so much from him. So, so from this, this grateful heart, she makes this, this show of her gratitude because she had been canceled, because this large debt had been canceled by him. She's in the 500 denarii category, okay? And we need to be careful here because Jesus did something for her, but now she does something for him. But it's not conditional, okay? Like, like this isn't some sort of cold transaction that's going on here. Like this is, this is not some sort of burdensome obligation that she carries out. It's not like if like you've received a gift from somebody and didn't really want the gift, but you still have to write the thank you note. Are you with me? That's not what's going on here. So um, I probably should not have shared that if I ever write you a thank you note. It's not out of obligation, I promise. Um, but it, it's not some sort of obligation here. This is coming from a pure heart. John Calvin said it this way. It's the forgiven sinner who knows the true meaning of sorrow for sins. You see, friends, like this woman, Jesus can forgive your debt. However, those who move from sinner to having their debt canceled, to being transformed, to becoming a worshiper, they're like the woman, not the Pharisee. Are you with me? There's something different in comparing both of those. You see, the one who is transformed into a worshiper, they're not the ones who arrogantly check out of spiritual things as if they don't have a need. Like, like they're not the ones who piously think they're good enough. They're not the ones who apathetically kind of shrug their shoulders and say, who cares about 50 denarii? Those aren't the ones who are totally transformed like this woman was. No, those who are transformed, they're the ones having their debt, who have their debt canceled. They're, they're the spiritually humble ones. They're the ones who genuinely admit the gravity of their sins. You see, when you believe your debt is actually more like 500 denarii, not like the 50 denarii, then kind of like you're on the way to being transformed. How do you view your sin? Believe Jesus can forgive your debt. However, you have to determine that that if if you are more like the Pharisee or you're more like the sinful woman, do you believe your debt is more like 50 denarii or 500 denarii? Let me ask one more question. I think this is the key question of this passage. Do you acknowledge or do you love Jesus? There's a difference there, right? Do you acknowledge him or do you love him? Look at 44 to 47. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. Now, don't get distracted by something here. Don't get distracted as if, like, the Pharisee was supposed to have done more or kissed him more or something. The, the, the point here is about gratitude, okay? You see, he's saying that some people politely acknowledge Jesus, and then some people love Jesus. And, and there's a difference there. Now, now this is one of the—and I think this is kind of fascinating about this story— This is one of the very few accounts in the New Testament where like a Pharisee is shown in a positive light, okay? Meaning this is one of the only times in the New Testament where like a Pharisee is like really respectful to Jesus. He's very hospitable, isn't he? Like I, I talk, I really value the, the spiritual gift of hospitality. We, we have some wonderful uh, host homes for our small groups. And if you're a host home, like, like it's a real sacrifice, right? Like you've you got to get the house clean. You're inviting this big group of people into your home. Like it's a real commitment. And this is a large group of people that comes into his home. He, he's probably feeding all of them. It's, a, it's all on his dime probably. Like he's doing something uh, that, that is very commendable here. He acknowledges Jesus. He's not hostile to Jesus. He, he treats him with respect. and in, in fact, he's willing to learn from Jesus, right? However, unlike the woman who's been gi- forgiven much, he doesn't love Jesus like her. He acknowledges Jesus, but he doesn't love Jesus like she loves him. One of the real problems with liberal and progressive Christianity is that it focuses more on outer behaviors rather than inner heart change. Okay? Now, this can happen in conservative Christianity as well. But one of the problems is, is like if your faith is, hey, if you vote this way, then you're right. Or if you okay, understand this sociological theory, then, then you're good. Or if you advocate for this aspect of social justice, th- then that's really true religion. The, the problem with all that is that can be done kind of on the outside in your own human strength. So it can become very legalistic, right? Like you can do all those things, check that box, feel really good about yourself, look down on people who don't have that, and it can all be done on the outside, and it can be very judgmental, and it can be very legalistic. You see, one of the problems with that line of thinking is that it's easy to, uh, it's easy to be obtained by certain people, and thus the, they don't think they really need Jesus. Like if that's your religion and you check all those boxes, you don't really need forgiveness of sin from Jesus, right? Right? You see, they don't think that they really need this inner heart change. They they think maybe the world's the problem, not themselves, right? They acknowledge Jesus, and maybe they cherry-pick some of His sayings, but are they really forgiven of their sins? They, They claim to be Christians, but have they really been forgiven? Do they really love Him? Do you acknowledge or do you love Jesus? Like I said, we just returned from this trip from the Holy Land, and we had a couple of great uh, guides on our trip, tour guides. And when we were on the Israel side, we, we had this unbelieving Israeli man who was a phenomenal tour guide. And he told us all sorts of fascinating things about the land of Israel and the archaeology. And then we went into Jordan. We had another great tour guide. And he was really fun and funny and very insightful. He was a, an unbelieving Muslim man. And, and they, brought, they brought a lot to the table. And I learned a lot from them and, and liked them as people. And, and one of the really interesting things about both of those men is is they only had really positive things to say about jesus like they couldn't really find negative things to say about jesus like like you let's be honest you you have to be pretty sorry to trash jesus right are you with me and and that's what was going on here now i'm really clear both of those men were unbelievers okay both of those men were not christian people but but they couldn't really trash jesus Like, like they acknowledged that jesus was a good person when we were up on that spot where Jesus maybe preached the Sermon on the Mount, like this man went on and on about how powerful that sermon was, and man, if we could only live according to those teachings. like They were quick to acknowledge Jesus. However, Jesus is making a distinction here between the person who acknowledges him and the person who loves him. You see, the one who loves him is like the woman, not the Pharisee. The woman who loves him is the woman who doesn't rush past Jesus. The one who loves him is the one who who doesn't think they have it all together. The one who truly loves Jesus is the one who slows down and ponders, what is Jesus really saying? What is Jesus really teaching? The one who loves him takes to heart the need they have for him. The one who loves him admits that they have a need to be forgiven. The one who loves him truly believes what he did on the cross. And the one who loves him takes to heart the forgiveness that he offers. Again, do you acknowledge him or do you love him? Let's look at this final section and see how we experience peace by trusting in Jesus. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then these and then those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace jesus said in verse 47 about her that he forgives her of her sins and then in 48 he says directly to her your sins are forgiven it's kind of a pattern we've seen in some of these other passages where where men are willing to talk about the women but jesus talks to the woman like he addresses her directly he speaks to her directly he forgives her sins directly there's a dignity that he shows her and what he shows her is forgiven forgiveness he forgives her sins He doesn't say her sin is not sin he recognizes her sin as sin but then he forgives her what that means is he gives her mercy where judgment should be uh should be given right he gives her mercy and grace and forgiveness there instead of giving her judgment when people treat us that way and i'm sure you've had people who treat you that way it it really melts your heart and softens you in a way doesn't it like when someone treats you that way aren't you like don't you just like love them forever like, like you're in with them. But when God treats us that way, we're drawn to worship him. You see, when he, uh, when he forgives you, not over 50 denarii, but over 500 denarii, worship starts to get passionate, right? Like that's the forgiveness that he's given us. It, it, it's not a small amount. He's forgiven us of everything. And, and that's why she worships. And again, this is Jesus' business, okay? His business, his mission is not to create this utopia here in the present world. Like His business was not to throw out the Roman oppressors. His business is not to ensure your political party wins. His business is not for, to promise you perfect health and a long life. His business is not to help you be wealthy and be the master of your universe. His business is what the angel told Joseph, that he has come to save his people from their sins, Matthew 121. So forgiving this woman, that's why he came. That's his business. He came and he lived this perfect life in order to qualify himself as that sacrificial lamb laid on that altar where he got up on that cross and he shed his blood as a payment for a debt that you couldn't pay. That's what he's doing here. He's forgiving her of her sins because he's accomplished something for her. Now, when Jesus says this, this causes a murmur amongst everybody, right? And this this mention here in verse 49 where it says, they who were at the table, they began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives the sin? That's the link back to verse 20. Remember verse 20 and John's uh, disciples who come and, hey, are you the one? They're asking this same question. Who is this? And Jesus is answering, in essence, I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. They're murmuring about who he is, but he's saying, listen, I'm the solution to your greatest problem. I'm the one who atones for sins. I'm the one who forgives the debt. I'm the Christ. But I want you to notice two more things in this, uh, from this final verse in verse 50. He says to her, your, your faith has saved you. You see, trusting in Christ is what saves her. She believed that he was more than a prophet. She believed that he was the Messiah. She, he was the one that the angel talked about that would take away her sins. That's the faith that saved her. Faith in, in Him. You see, it, it wasn't uh, faith in her own good works. Like, like her anointing didn't save her. And even the genuineness of her weeping, that didn't save her. And maybe like this general belief in God, that does not save her. What saved her is a specific, genuine, heartfelt faith in Christ. That Christ is the Messiah. He's the one who pays for our debt. That's what saved her. And second, notice something else. He says, go in peace. You see, her genuine faith, it led to this eternal forgiveness resulting in this experience of peace. That experience came because she experienced peace by trusting Jesus, which means that she no longer had this cosmic brokenness with God. Like before that, before her sins were forgiven, there was a separation that she had cosmically, religiously with God. But all that is, is covered, all that is made peaceful. That's now then brought back together. And as a result of that, she's now able to experience this spiritual peace. She has cosmic peace, religious peace, and now she's able to experience this spiritual peace. Her soul is clean. She's right with God. There's this Old Testament idea of shalom or wholeness. She now gets to experience all of that because she's right with God. Like Jesus promises in John fourteen seventeen. he has given her peace. He's left her with peace. Friends like this sweet woman, each of us can experience that same peace, and it's through trusting him as the Christ. Do you identify more with the sins of the Pharisee or the sins of the woman? Let's be really clear. They're both sinners, right? They're both sinners in this story. But who do you identify with the most? You see, the Pharisee had it all together. He was respectable. He probably dressed nice. I bet he had a nice home. He probably didn't struggle with impolite traits. Like, I doubt he cussed a lot. I I doubt he rarely lost his cool. I I bet he had it all together. I I, I bet he had a successful business. I, I bet, I picture his kids as very well behaved. Now listen, all of those things are good. But his worldly successes had caused him to merely acknowledge Jesus rather than to believe in him and love him. Rich suburban Americans, we're in danger of acknowledging him based upon our successes rather than recognizing who we really are in relationship to God. Amen. The women, the woman didn't have, well, I'll cut to the chase. Are you spiritually apathetic? <laughs> have your successes caused you to be spiritually apathetic? The woman's totally different, right? She doesn't have it all together. She wasn't respectable. She could be a bit of a mess. I bet she had a history of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I bet she was a burden to people. However, she was honest about her need for forgiveness. She was honest that she needed help. And unlike the Pharisees, she knew she was a sinner. Friends, when, when uh, your sin causes other people to go away from you, please hear me, Jesus comes near to you in that moment. That's the good news of the gospel. Is your debt only 50 denarii? Do you shrug your spiritual shoulders at it? Is your worldly success getting in the way of your relationship to Jesus? If you're honest, like truly honest, do you think, I really don't need forgiveness? Or is your debt that whopping 50 denarii? Do you believe that He can forgive you? Do you really believe He wants to forgive you? If you're honest, do you believe that you're beyond forgiveness? You see, no matter if you're more like the Pharisee or more like the woman, Reject the wisdom of the world. Reject the opinions of others and love and trust and follow Christ. That's your pathway to peace. That's the culmination of that is experiencing peace with him. No one ever found peace by judging others. Also, no one ever found peace by, by living according to the judgments of others. Peace is found through trusting Jesus, accepting his forgiveness, and then living according to his will and his ways. Social media is also a minefield of judgmentalism, isn't it? Like, I put my cards on the table. I'm really thankful for social media, okay? Like, I love seeing pictures of your babies, and I love seeing videos of puppies. I'm that guy. When my kids walk by, I'm like, what are you watching? I'm like, it's a, it's a puppy. It's cute. And anyway, that's, that's what I get out of social media. I also like to know when former classmates move or start new jobs. I, I like to know when former students of mine... Graduate college or get married, and, and I found this little rhythm where i 'll share like a little gospel quote from my devotional reading that morning now I, this my rhythm is is i 'm kind of an early bird, I get up and I have that devotional time of prayer in the morning, and I read these little devotional books that are impactful for me, and I just share them that 's just kind of my rhythm and that 's you know I found that it 's helpful for some people and i 'm not saying you have to get up early i mean i 'm not saying you have to read devotional books, you need to read the word more than devotional books, but that's just the rhythms that I've found. So I'm, I'm thankful for social media. However, I never post about when I say something ugly to my wife and it causes an argument. I've never posted about that. Like, I've never posted about how little I exercise or how much Whataburger I eat. <laughs> I've never posted anything like that. I, you're not going to see on Facebook when I get frustrated in a meeting or, or when I say a cuss word. I, I'm like you. I, I'm you're only going to see pictures of me smiling and my kids smiling. You're not going to see pictures of our chaotic moments. You're going to hear about the wins, not the failures. You're going to see when I'm out having fun, not when I'm home alone missing out. You see, it's easy to look at an angle, right? It's easy to look at an angle of another person's life and judge them. It's also easy to look at an angle of another person's life and then judge ourselves. But it is a trap, right? All of that is a trap. You see, if the sinful woman had judged herself according to the Pharisee's opinion of her, she never would have been a friend of Jesus, right? She never would have uh, uh, believed that he would have welcomed her as a friend. You see, if she had believed the opinions of others, she never would have received Jesus' forgiveness. You see, if she lived according to what the world said about her, If she had lived according to the world's opinion, she never would have experienced the peace that he gave her. Friends, human-empowered righteousness, successful righteousness that can obstruct worship. Living according to other people's opinions, that also gets in the way of being a friend of Jesus. However, accepting Jesus' grace, that's what leads to greater love, greater trust, and ultimately peace. Ladies, no matter what the world says about you, You can be a friend of Jesus. You can love and trust Jesus Christ because he forgives sinners. Jesus is a friend of sinners. This sinful woman teaches us to reject the opinions of the world by loving and trusting Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this little story. Thank you for this little moment. Lord, I pray that we would not believe what the world says about us, but that we would believe what you say about us. Lord, if, even if the world condemns us, I pray that we would believe that we can be right with you as a result of your work on the cross. Lord, for those of us in this room who are successful, maybe they're successful religiously, maybe they're successful financially, or successful as parents, or have successful children, Lord, I pray that none of that would breed pride in us. But I pray that we would be spiritually humble, recognizing our debt is not 50 denarii, but 5 million denarii. And Lord, I pray that that would be a starting point for being totally transformed from sinners to worshipers. It's in Jesus' name we we'll pray.